0: Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast. No greater faction than the action movie scene. Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast.
1: Your satisfaction, action on. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. My name is Scott Wiley and you're listening to the Action Addicts Podcast. Today, as you will have seen from the title of the episode, we are going to be talking about a personal favorite of mine. That is Triple X, The Return of Xander Cage. Joining me this week, we have a uh, former military man, Chris Barreras, who I will uh, let you get to know and meet. And if you listen to shows similar to mine, you're probably already familiar with him. More by luck than judgment. He was actually on Action for Everyone this week, uh, which is part of the reason why I decided to give that some breathing room so that, you know, you're not getting overwhelmed by too much Barrera's content. He is someone that we have been trying to have on the show for a really long time. And as you'll work out very quickly, this is an old recording. How will you know this? Well for starters, we're both married, and uh, we both refer to our wives as fiancées, and I talk about how hot it is in England, and I promise you I'm anything but hot at the moment, it is freezing here. But, good news, this is the last one that was recorded during this time period, so after that, we're gonna jump forward a little bit, so the recordings will start to sound more uh, recent, (laughs) which will be a bit of a weird thing after editing so many of these older ones. Obviously, we have had the occasional uh, episode that's been much more recent, such as the Die Hard episode, because it was, you know, relevant to Christmas, but I'm really happy that this one, and last week's one with Larry that was on Broken Arrow, finally saw the light of day, and uh, it's always a shame when some of these episodes get stuck waiting for their time to shine, but it's happened now, so I hope that you enjoy this episode, and I'll hand you over to us without any further delay, and yeah. Enjoy the Vin Diesel and Donnie Yen goodness that is this film and our conversation. See you in the outro. All right, ladies and gentlemen, and after that amazing intro that hopefully I gave us, we are here. We are live in the room and it is absolutely scorching in the UK again. So. If you do hear background noise, though I'm usually able to take it out without any issues anyway, but it might pick it up every now and again. Uh, it's my fan because it is like 35 degrees outside. I don't even want to look at what it is in here with my laptop going and all the, and the lights on. So make of it what you will. But either way, we're joined today by a first time guest, but probably not the first time you guys have heard of him because he's been on several action twitter podcasts and he is very much known as that tactical guy aka christopher Barreras. welcome to the show dude how are you doing
0: i'm doing great scott man i'm 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 really excited you know about this you know, like i've been looking forward to it all week
1: yeah i've been uh, i've been looking forward to it too it's it's funny because uh i had to basically watch two of my favorite films uh this week for uh, another episode as well and it, it, it's always nice when I can look at the films that I'm going to do and go, ah, I, I genuinely like these ones. Whereas you you never know with some of them when you look at them and you think, is this going to be a good episode? or Is this going to be a bad episode? But as we're doing Triple X, The Return of Xana Cage, I've seen this film uh, over half a dozen times since it originally came out. I really like this film. And uh, I'm very curious to hear your thoughts because this all started... Because you said on Twitter that you'd never actually seen this film. And I was like, haha, this is my chance. Do you want to come watch it yeah. and we talk about it? Yeah, I forgot
0: how we got on the subject of it. Um, I think it was one of our Twitter friends. Was it Mike? I honestly can't Anyways. remember. It, it Anyways, wasn't anything to Triple X. Yeah, but oh, they posted a clip. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fight on the plane. And I was like, I had no idea that this movie went as hard as it does because I bought this movie probably like a year ago on on an iTunes sale for like under five bucks just because it has Donnie Yen in it. I didn't have any urge to watch it anytime soon because I had seen the first one when it came out in theaters and I hated it. I legit thought it was awful. I never saw the second one because I was like, I didn't like the first one. And Vin Diesel, like, you know, was like, you know, I'm not doing the second one. And so then when the third one came out, I was like, man, this is way too late. It has Donnie, but I just can't bring myself to do it. And then that clip that I saw, I was like, oh, shit, I got to change this. I got to watch this because. <laughs> oh, just oh, the two minute fight clip is better than anything out of the entire first movie. And then when you asked me to come on for it, I was like, okay, I'm going to do my homework. And so I rewatched the first one for the first time in probably 20 years. And I watched the second one. And as I finished the second one, I'm like, man, Scott's put me, he's put me through the ringer on this one. And then I saw the third one. I was like, you know what? It makes up for it. It's totally okay. (laughs) because while outside of Donnie, oh, the movie has the same problems that I had with the first two, but anytime he's on screen, he's so energetic. I'm like, I can't take my eyes off the screen right now. And his Uh fight scene is one of, of the best he's done in the West where I was like, it's not overly edited. It's not like shot, like all up close. There's plenty room to see everything. He's having a fun time. It's like, oh yeah. Totally worth it. Totally worth it.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. Uh I'll be entirely honest. When you told me you were going to rewatch the original and the second one, a part of me sort of went, there's a reason I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will one day get rewatch the first one, because when that came out originally, I was the, the target age and the demographic for it. I really liked it as a younger person uh but uh even the premise alone in retrospect is making me go Ugh. uh you know the idea that uh, you can be a secret agent and save the world because you're good at skateboarding whilst it is a great message and it definitely resonated with the kids at the time because you know the early 2000 that was that era like you know Triple X is very much a film of its time but oh yeah trying to like justify or rationalize that is is is, is no on your episode oh, with
0: Aaron Vargas i made the realization i'm over 10 years older than you so when oh the first of the triple x movies came out that was in 2000 what 1 2 something like that 2002 yeah i was already 22 and so i'm like that's why i don't think it hit for me and then I haven't seen it since, until of oh, this last week, where I was like, I was like, okay, you know, like I'm gonna watch it to see how the series has evolved. And I remember I put up on Twitter, you know, like after I watched it, that uh, to me the first one at least feels like it's an idea that somebody just uh, threw out at a sponsorship meeting of the X Games and Mountain Dew, like it is. A committee movie where they're like here's all these set pieces and we have this hit soundtrack and oh here's our main star who's on the rise bam and so i try to look at it as as critical as possible and i will have to hand it to the first movie that the action is ex- it is well done all the shootouts are good like about 20 minutes in when they're they're like on that drug farm I like the chase scene and like the shootout there. It's very well done. Like it's very well shot. Yes. But some of the dialogue is some of the worst I've ever heard. And I think it might've been you who replied to me on Twitter with the, are uh, um, oh, you got to stop thinking PlayStation and blow some stuff up or something? Oh, that line that Vince says at the end of the movie. And I literally cringed when I saw that scene. I was like, oh my, God, this is, this is even worse than I remember. Like, who thought that that was a good line of dialogue to have in this movie that cost like $100 million? I was like, what are they doing? And the villain was just so stereotypical, a Euro trash, like there was no depth. His accent was terrible. Just everything about the movie just really turned me off. And so then when I got into the second one, right off the bat, in like the first 10 minutes of the movie, I'm like, well, the villain is Willem Dafoe like oh he should have had like a neon light over his head going i'm the bad guy or with like the arrow pointing down it was so <laughs> obvious and then they treat it as like a twist like 20 minutes into the movie i'm like are we watching the same movie because it it's like it makes no sense and as much as i love ice cube the of oh, the speed ramping on his fights is ridiculous It makes him move so fast and it's so jarringly obvious that it's either a stunt double or that they sped up the footage when it's actually him. And then it makes what I think is one of the cardinal sins of like the early out of mid aughts is the over reliance on CG and green screen because oh the technology wasn't there but the whole like a last act on the speed train is so obviously that shiny CG because they didn't quite have it down yet. But then like like as you said, I'm kind of known like as the tactical guy, there is some pretty clean tactical work in the climax, especially out of Scott Speedman. I was impressed with him actually and like how he moved. And I'm like, and then you look at Ice Cube and he has no tactical awareness whatsoever. But yet although they're, they're all supposed to be ex-special forces. And I'm like, did only Scott show up for the training? Or did you know Ice Cube just say fuck it? <laughs>
1: I, I, I suspect not to, uh, to, to generalize too much, but I suspect at the time a lot of people were very much along the lines of, well, wow, he's Ice Cube. Everyone knows he's a tough guy and he's a gangster. So however he holds, however he wants to do it must be legit. And, uh, I, I think that particular era is also thankfully in the past. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But, I mean, I'm glad I got that out of my system uh, so that we can talk about a movie that I did actually like a lot. But, man, those first two, I was cursing your name. And here's what's funny is, is you did not ask me to watch them. No. Uh, all you said was watch part three. But I'm like, I'm like you know what? I'm going to do this right. I haven't seen these movies in a while. And like, I even brought it up to my fiance. I'm like, yeah, babe, like I just finished the second triple X. She goes, why are you watching these movies when you only had to watch the third one? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know why I did it. And I hate myself for doing it because they were terrible. But at (laughs) least, at least I got to get to three and actually have a good time with it.
1: Yes, I, I will say as well, I've only seen the second film once and it took a lot of effort by my granddad to get me to watch it. I did not watch it when it originally released. I, I It was definitely one that was on the television, and he may or may not have put in a VHS tape and recorded it, uh, and, then, <laughs> and, and then played it back for me at a later date after much nagging, because obviously it doesn't have Vin Diesel in it, which kind of pretty much eroded any interest I had in it. At the time, Vin Diesel was very much in, in his prime, wasn't overly familiar with Ice Cube in terms of like action films. Like I, I knew of him for like comedy. So that really wasn't in its favor. Uh, so the, I, I'm pretty sure that the reason I eventually did watch it is I saw a clip of Willem Dafoe. And of course, even though I knew him from other stuff as well, where he'd also played great characters, my brain went, Oh, Green Goblin's playing another bad guy. All right. I'll give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> which is fair. Which is fair. So, yeah, that that was pretty much the only reason I watched it. And I remember thinking that it felt nothing like Triple X, for better or for worse. They, you know, like you said, regardless of how accurate it was, they were supposed to be these X special forces, which was the antithesis of what Vin Diesel's Xander Cage was supposed to be. And it's funny because they almost make a point of taking the piss out of that fact in the third film, because he does end up. Sort of working with some special forces dudes and pretty much spends the whole film making them look like idiots. Which, whilst funny, I, I suspect there are people out there that probably didn't enjoy that. <laughs> so, I didn't
0: mind it because I know quite a few guys that are like that. Like, for or your listeners, um, I'm ex military so. I know a lot of guys who act exactly like the special forces dudes act. And when I see them like getting other piss taken out of them, I do laugh because I'm like, good. Oh, they deserve it. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't mind that to be totally honest. I'm like, you know what? You know, I like that because I've met those guys that are just so just macho and ball. And I'm like, dude, really? So, I appreciate that other Vin Diesel's like, hold on, didn't want to mock these guys for a little bit. And at least, at least in the third one, oh, they worked on the dialogue. It, like it wasn't nearly as bad as the first two movies. And I think also it was Mike on Twitter who put that for the first time in a movie. Oh, Vin let somebody else outshine him. Like anytime that he's on screen with him and Donnie, he's not the central focus. It's always on Donnie, even in the action scenes. I mean, Ovin oh, has that fight at the end oh, with the special forces guy and the uh, oh, the robot hands, but that's not the highlight of the climax. Oh, the highlight of the climax is the Donnie Yen fight.
1: Yeah, 100%. I will say, like, one of the reasons that I genuinely was excited for this film and then continued to kind of be its champion when it kind of just came and went with little fanfare, like, I remember people talked about it briefly, uh, at the time, but it really did feel like it wasn't one that people were really going to be talking about for the long term. And then I have it on Blu-ray, but for a couple of years, it was available on Netflix. So it was there readily available for everyone to consume, at least in the UK. And, uh, it, it really felt like people weren't, but for, for me, it had a huge cast and for the most part, Nobody feels like they go to waste, which is kind of a rare thing. And I agree a 100% with what you or Mike said. Part of that is because Vin doesn't want the entire spotlight to be on him, or at least he's allowing other people to share it with him. I kind of feel like if (laughs) I probably shouldn't say this, but I almost feel like if you've taken that attitude with some of the Fast and Furious films, uh, they might not be uh, in the situation they're in now with their cast split across multiple films.
0: All I'm doing is nodding a a profusely yes. That's all I'll say about the Fast and Furious movie.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, you know, when it was announced and I saw the cast, I was like, well, it's got Donnie Yen in it and Vin Diesel's coming back. Like, I remember loving Triple X as basically a teenager. So, yeah, I I was on board. But then Ruby Rose, who had been in John Wick 2, which is really all I knew her from because I hadn't seen Orange is the New Black at that point uh, or anything else she'd been in. Uh, so I was like, oh, well, she was great in John Wick 2. So that that works for me. And then, oh, Tony Jar is in this. So I've got Tony and Donnie. Yeah, I'm in. And then uh, uh Michael Bisping is in it as well, who's obviously a British cage fighting champion, but he'd also been in Strike Back. He's been in several other films uh since with you know like low budget martial art films and i remember him from strike
0: back because i'm like outside of michael i'm the hugest a proponent of strike back like that is one of my favorite shows of all time and so when i saw him in triple x i was like oh shit plus i know him um oh from triple threat yeah. Or uh, with yeah. Tony Ja. So I was like, oh, I was like, okay. And him and Tony have awesome chemistry together. You know, they
1: even have like a little bit of an action scene together. I was like, okay. Okay. I'm liking this. Yeah, exactly. Like, for me, it, it really felt like they went out of their way to get a lot of people from different schools to come together. Uh, obviously, they also had Chris Wu, and uh, I'm going to apologize if I mispronounce her name, but I believe it is Deepika Padukone, and it also has Nina Dubrov or Dobrev, sorry, and Rory McCann and Tony Collette. It's like the names just keep going on and on and on. But it doesn't feel like you're watching a film that is trying to squish a dozen or so people into these roles and giving them nothing to do. And the fact that a good portion of them are from different parts of the world. I, I almost feel like this film was a couple of years too early because obviously Topeka is a huge star over in India. And now it feels like everybody is slowly becoming enthralled with Indian cinema. Chris Wu, in, you know, is a fairly big deal uh, over in his part of the world. And obviously Donnie and Tony don't really need an introduction, especially not on the action addicts. So, and uh, in the background, even though he's not in it uh, uh, that much, you've also got Samuel L. Jackson just wandering around for probably a big chunk of money. But, you know, on paper, it's like, how is this not a film that everybody talks about a lot, you know? Yeah, it's like when I hit play and they do like the opening credits,
0: you know, and as you said, like, you just start seeing all these names pop up and I'm like, this cast is fucking stacked. Like it is stacked with... Oh, not just an American stars, but it is really diverse, and it's world-traveled. Like You basically have like every demographic on screen, and what I appreciate about the movie is that it gives every single one of them at least a one big set piece out of Shine, or in the case of Donnie and even Ruby. It gives them a few scenes where they outshine anything that Vin's doing on screen. Yeah, and and I don't know if that was maybe written like into the contract because like, like he obviously he got the financing off of a worldwide release, you know. So like, or maybe it was one of those things where hey, every single one of these stars. Or like has to have their moment or whatever but either way it works
1: it totally works uh in and and i am definitely going off of memory because i didn't have the time to to rewatch all of the the making of stuff on the blu-ray but i remember quite vividly that vin was a big part of getting a, a multi-ethnic diverse cast like that was a big thing like he basically wanted to bring other country superstars all together and just put them in the sandbox and play. And it's funny too, because he kind of did do that for fast and furious as well. But I feel like in my opinion, it works so much better for the triple X label. I had this conversation with someone at the time when we, when, you know, we were tweeting each other about this and it's like the fast and furious films are so, over the top now and basically are triple X films that there's barely any distinction between the two of them because they've just gone so far from what they actually started out as whereas the triple X films you don't have that same disconnect from reality because you're already dealing with the ridiculous scenario that basically everybody involved is really good at what they do which 90% of the time has got nothing to do with actual spy craft or combat but because they have these skills, they're able to do things that other people can't because everyone else thinks they won't or don't. And I agree with you as well, that pretty much everybody, almost everybody, steals the the action scenes, especially from Vin. And that is actually kind of depressing because I I kind of looked it up. Oh, yeah, that, that I remember I had the conversation with now. But anyway, Vin and Donny. I think Vin uh, is like, two years younger than Donnie and yet Donnie looks like he's about 10 years younger than Vin in this film you know what I mean it's like he's just running circles around him as much as I do still like Vin Diesel a big problem I have with a lot of his recent films and I don't know if it's um something he can really help or fix but he he kind of comes across as that old guy still trying to hang with the kids and you know what I mean
0: yeah, and he's he's not that old. Like I remember like a- after I watched the movie, like I was talking with um my fiance about it and she's like, oh, "So how was the movie?" I was like I'm like, "Babe, it was a lot of fun." I was like, "And Donnie." And she goes oh, she goes, "Of course, Donnie." Yen. Be- c- because I- I've kind of worn her out with my love and obsession of, of Donnie Yen movies over the last couple of years. And I was like, you know, I was like, babe, he, he just rocks the shit in this one. And then I showed her the poster and she goes, How old is he? And I was like, He just turned 60. And she goes, Shut up. I'm like, Yeah. She goes, So how old was he here? And I was like, He was in his mid 50s. And she goes, No, he wasn't. I was like, Yeah, he was. And she goes, there, "She goes, There's no way. I'm like, Yeah. And she goes, He looks like he's in his 30s. And I'm like, He really does. And he moves like he's in his 30s and he's jacked as shit. And then you look at Vin and Vin just, It's funny, because as you said, like, oh, he's moving like an old man. And I watched a one and three within a few days of each other. And there's only been 20 years in between movies, but Ovin looks like he's aged like 40. Yeah, it does. It's quite shocking how much a wear and tear he has on his body. Like in the first one, he's still in that Riddick shape or like the fast and furious one shape where he's lean, he's built. He looks like he could like crush your head. And in this one, he just, he has a little bit of like the saggy old man chest, even though he is working out. You know what I mean? Does that make
1: sense? No, no, it it makes complete sense. That's what I mean. I I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's something he can help. Like I believe he is still in shape and he is still working out. But I just unfortunately think genetically he's he's let down by his body, which is in some regards why I like the fact that he is still going, because I feel like if he didn't have the star power that he he clearly still does possess, he wouldn't get hired. Because I think other actors would just be told, yeah, well, we know you can still do it, but you don't look like you can still do it. So best of luck to you. You know what I mean? Even in the opening of the movie when Donnie shows up and he takes off
0: his jacket and he's got just these massive arms that are like so defined and he's moving like he's in his thirties and then it cuts out of Vin Diesel on a skateboard. You're like, Oof. but at least it kind of leans into that a little bit where it's like, Oh, Vin's been out of the game for a while. So he's not like in the best shape but oh, but Donnie's character. I was just recently in the game, and he decided oh, to switch sides in a way so that he's still in like that action shape, so it's almost like oh, they wrote that kind of plot point in oh to justify the fact that Vin isn't moving oh like he did in the first movie
1: yeah and and I can't help but wonder if see, I was about to say I wonder if that was a deliberate choice because everybody else in the movie comes across as younger than than vin and they talk about the legend that was Xander cage because as far as every other character is concerned he died you know because they killed him off in the in the second film because vin didn't want to do it for whatever reason you know there wasn't a...
0: and it was literally a line of dialogue it was literally a line of dialogue in the second one where they're like yeah oh Xander was just killed and you're like oh so they wrote him out okay yeah yeah
1: well originally... but they don't explain
0: in the third one, how he faked his death or anything, it's just like, oh, no, like, I'm still alive.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. well, because ori- originally <laughs> he was supposed to be in the second film with Ice Cube, but it was supposed to be, you know, the two of them together. But I don't know. I don't remember. It probably is out there, but I don't remember exactly why that fell apart. But then there was a time when Vin didn't really like doing sequels. I mean, he didn't do the Fast and Furious sequel. He didn't do the Triple X sequel. Realistically, the only sequel he really did was was for Riddick, but that was almost a completely different film. you know it's nothing like Pitch black, The Chronicles of Riddick, so oh he, no, it is very much uh it's almost like dune in a way, yeah, so you know from that point of view, I think he was just one of those people that that didn't really like sequels, but as time went on and the uh the the new projects stopped coming, I feel like suddenly the sequels sounded like a pretty good idea, but maybe that's just me being cynical, but um. But yeah, sorry, what I was going to say is, in regards to their ages is I feel like that was where they were going for it. But it, uh, shall we say, the relationship that is implied and flirted with between him and uh, Deepika's character kind of makes me question that. Because when those two are flirting with each other, especially uh, in the early scenes and the scenes where they like compare tattoos, it really feels like the film wants you to believe at that point that they're not that far apart in age.
0: That was one of the parts of the movie that I'm so glad you brought this up, you know, cause I was going to anyways, where that felt so forced. And I don't know if it's Vin as an actor, but at least in the triple X movies, he doesn't have chemistry with anybody on screen. <laughs> And in the third one, he's like, yeah, you know, they, there's the tattoo scene. And the whole time I'm like, man, this feels like, it feels like, oh, when Sean Connery was in the later James Bonds and he's hitting on women that are are like 30, (laughs) like 30 years under him, where it just feels like, dude, you didn't need this plot point. And then when they kiss at the end, I was like, oh, and then Ice Cube, he finally shows up and like, oh, they hug. And I was like, he has a more chemistry with Ice Cube and this car. Oh, than he does with the love interest of the movie. Like it was it, it was kind of painful to watch. Oh, that was a, one of the few elements of three where I'm just like, they could have written this out. Yeah, like, I don't I don't see why this was a plot point.
1: See, that's the thing. Like, that's where I, I, I believe that they wanted you to believe that he's still basically a a young'un at heart, like not as old as he actually is in real life. But just to put this into perspective for people listening, when the film was shot, Vin was 50 and Topeka was 31. So, he, you know, Chris is dead on when he's like, you know, 20 year age difference. And the way they flirt, the way they, they talk about stuff they did in high school and like the way things used to be they're very much having a conversation like they're both of the same era whereas she wouldn't have been born when he was in high school you know and she had
0: more chemistry and like a flirtatious energy with donnie
1: yeah a hundred percent i mean unfortunately whilst it is true that I feel like Finn gave Donnie the limelight in terms of action sequences. Donnie even says it; his character says it in the film, like "You stole my dance partner," and he basically does, you know. And it's not really addressed as to how that just kind of happens, and everybody just goes, "Yeah, that makes sense." Yeah, it's it. It was
0: one of my few, qu- like, a small gripes with the movie was was of the forced. A love interest aspect. And also as much as I love Tony Collette, she seemed kinda like she was sleeping through this one, like it was a paycheck. But,
1: I thought that when I first watched also,
0: it. Also Oh, sorry, go but on. But also, it it fits with the style of the movie. Cause if you watch the first one, oh Sam Jackson is on paycheck mode. And so I was like, okay, so she's just oh taking over for that blank stone faced oh, CIA person where they don't have any personality. So I kind of like, correct. Or when I looked at it oh, through that lens, it, it was easier to take and not be as critical because we all know that she's one of the most amazing actresses ever. So if she wants to do a paycheck movie, I'm going to allow it. You know what I mean?
1: Like it's Tony Collette. Well, the the thing is as well, because as I say, like when I first watched it, um, I didn't, well, I, I think I did know of her, but I didn't make the connection because, as you say, she's so blank in this film. But when I watched the, the making of, and they had a lot of behind the scenes, like when outtakes with her, especially anytime they yelled cut, like the, all the personality came back. And especially when she, she messed up lines and it, and you know, the character actually suddenly smiled. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, she can smile. Like you say, it was a conscious decision. They wanted her to be. Basically, exactly what she was. I mean, she she basically took it as a challenge to see if she could get through the whole film with like basically never emoting, um which I think she not, succeeded w- on. Not w- even even when she's killed off,
0: she looks like oh okay, like like it's very just like oh I'm gonna die now. Yeah, like wow, you know, like there's no emotion even when she's <laughs> like she's about to get sucked out of a
1: plane. <laughs> in fact, there is actually there is one there is one very very quick and easy to miss moment where the character does have an emotion and that's when she's on the phone to the president and the president or whoever it is, someone in charge, clearly gives the order that all the Triple X's are to be killed and blamed for the event and she has that brief moment where she's like, "Oh, I don't I that kind of sucks given that we, you know, we kind of did all of this and she has that look on her that's like oh okay and then there's like a, she kind of like rubs her eye like oh maybe there was a tear there maybe there wasn't and then by the time she turns around and faces back to vin she's gone back to stone face like she just doesn't allow any of that to to show through
0: yeah that's true yeah that's very true that's very true
1: so for that i feel like even though blink and you'll miss it that kind of tells you that the fact that, as you say, she does spend the whole film emotionless, that's a—that's uh, the way that that character is by design rather than, well, well it, it probably is just because it was the easiest thing to do uh, for, as far as acting goes, but you know what I mean? It's like the character does have emotions, but she refuses to share them with the group.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And I do remember that scene. Yeah. You know, and Oh, you're right. It is very if you blink, it's gone. Yeah. Like it's like bam, like snap and it's over with. And you're like, oh, okay.
1: <laughs> but now going back to, to to the very beginning of the film, uh, like you said, everybody gets a great introduction. It's it's one of the better scenes in the film because you're introduced to all these brand new characters, basically the the, the so called bad guys, uh, which we'll get to later. But you get to see Donnie do that amazing jump. And, uh, smash through the window. And then he gets to really show off some of his martial arts stuff. You get to see Michael Bisping basically just demolish some people, which I didn't actually realize until I rewatched it this time that the guy that he basically takes out as he comes out the elevator is like a Jason Bourne style lookalike. And, um, <clears throat> I, I, I completely missed that the first time and the fact that he kills him with a book as well. It's like, oh yeah, that is a, del- that is a deliberate thing. I, I, I cannot believe I missed that. And you get, uh, uh, Dupika, you know, in a tight leather, which, you know, everybody uh, likes, let's, let's don't lie. And, uh, Tony Your, ja- every single one of her outfits is revealing. Every single one of her outfits should be illegal. I'm just going to flat out say it. Like if Vin definitely had a hand in the casting, he knew damn well what he was doing when he cast her. Let, let's put it that yeah, way. Yeah. But but um, to go off what you
0: said of, of the Jason Bourne, I caught that too. And I saw it as an homage to the opening of Triple X1. Because if you remember, at the start of Triple X1, there is uh, the British agent who's killed in the opening of the movie. And he's at a tux. He, and he's very much a James Bond type. And, and, oh, and it's actually. Yeah. It's Thomas Ian Griffith from a Karate Kid 3 and Cobra Kai. Yeah, yeah. But he's not named. And that was basically oh, what I saw as, oh, this isn't James Bond because here's a secret agent and he's killed. And then you see the opening of three where uh, the Jason Bourne style character who was the hot big thing is taken out as well. And I was like, oh, I like that homage.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and and, and everybody gets their moment. Like, Topeka gets to show off like how flexible she is and that the character's super smart. And then I love the fact that Tony Jar's talon isn't there. And then when he finally does show up, they're like, you're late. And then he just, like, takes out a guard, a motorcycle, by just flying through the air. And it's like, no, man, I'm not late. I'm just, you know, making my fashionable entrance. (laughs) And he's got that mohawk, or like the faux hawk.
0: And I'm like, I love Tony Jar. He's obviously having fun in this movie. Like yes. like all throughout the movie he just has like this smile on his face. And like I was introduced obviously out of Tony Ja on the Ung Bak movies and The Protector where he's super serious and you know and like oh, people forget that he like he's a decent enough actor. He's okay, but it, but in this it plays to his strengths where he's just having a good time. Like he's being a goofball. Yeah. And like I said, like his chemistry or with Michael Bisping is really strong. Like, oh, they play well off each other. Like, I wouldn't mind a spin-off of just them two, you know, just having adventures, you know, kind of thing.
1: No, I, I agree. Um Tony is one of those weirder characters that I could see putting some people off, but I quite like the fact that he's a dancer and he's a bit of a party animal and he doesn't take anything as seriously but somehow you can tell he's like best friends with this you know giant michael bisping who is the exact opposite he's very serious he's you know he's very uh stoic he doesn't really have a, a lot of dialogue like compared to some of the other characters he he gets enough it's not like he's a he's a dolph lundgren uh type but he, uh, he, you know, the, their personalities are so polar opposite. But as you said, they get teamed up, uh, in quite a, a number of moments in the film. But it kind of comes across that that isn't just because they were the two that were left out. It, it genuinely felt like those two had a, a connection uh, and a friendship that goes back beyond the, you know, this film, uh, which isn't always the easiest thing to do. Like you said, uh, not everybody in this film comes across that way, but the fact that those two both manage to shine, even though they probably have the least amount of screen time of everyone, uh, it, it speaks to how good they are as actors, even though, like you say, maybe they're, they're not, you know, given Oscar worthy performances. Um, it kind
0: of reminds me, um, of Dolph Lundgren and Jet Lee on the Expendables movies, where like, oh, like, Oh, the few moments of or where they share the screen. Oh, they seem to just in. I just have a spark between the two of them. Yeah, like, like at the start of the second one, where it's where it's almost like a oh, the opening of the movie this big. You know, is this big action set piece, but then it, but then it cuts out oh, to Jet Li and Dolph, and uh, they're kind of talking shit to each other, just like oh, we're buddies. You know what I mean? Like I get that vibe from them and I got that same vibe on this uh, with Tony and Michael.
1: Yeah. No, I 100% agree. I am quite happy to stay on record. Uh, at some point in the not too distant future, uh, the expendables will be an episode of the show, but uh, that will be mostly talking about the first one. But I'm quite happy to say that I genuinely believe that the, and I know it's not their fault, but the fact that they essentially lost Jet Li from the main lineup of their cast is one of the reasons why I think the sequels don't hit for me as well as the first one did. Uh, I, I know that the second one is the better film as a complete package, but you really feel the, the lack of Jet Li in two and three. Oh my God. Yeah.
0: I, I, I 100% agree with you. Sorry to cut you off. I, I, I 100% agree with you. Just, just that scene in the first one, you know, like where they're all talking, you're know, like all about the mission and Jet Lee has that thing. I, I want more money. And yeah. it's like, it turns into a comedy bit almost, but it's like, he's, he, see, the thing with Jet is he's such a screen presence that when he's on screen, he steals the spotlight from stallone and terry cruz and all these guys so yeah in the second one when oh they write him out of the rest of the movie and then he shows up in the third one at the very end you're like what is go- oh,
1: god i wish he could come back like, i miss him in movies well unfortunately that that's the thing isn't it i i know it wasn't yeah. the expendables his choice to lose jet lee i mean in, in the case of the second one it was a case of he was already booked to, to make uh, a Chinese film, the name of which escapes me. I remember seeing it. And aside from dodgy CGI, it wasn't too bad. But I think by the time they made the third film, his thyroid condition had gone horribly out of control. And he just, you know, he, he basically all but retired from making films. And, you know, yeah. he's, he's, he he still does make stuff now, but they tend to be dramas like you aren't gonna suddenly see him, you know, make a return to action films. I think, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, like he was the, uh, um, oh, the emperor um, in the live action remake of Mulan, where he just he has to sit there.
1: Yeah, I mean, he does get a couple of moments where he reminds you that he can kick ass in that film. But again, uh, I, I, I'm, uh, I don't think I've ever said this on an episode, but I have definitely made my opinion on that film clear on social media. I don't like the live action Mulan and the treatment of Jet Li. It definitely did not help the fact that I don't like that film. But he was also in a short film. uh, Funnily enough, so was Donnie Yen. I think Tony Jaa was in it too, uh, because there were so many people that were. I don't know if you ever saw it. Uh, It was a Chinese short film where this rich guy basically got everyone who's anyone together and just beat him up and had like a, a martial arts fight scene. And he made Jet Li the final fight. And he's the only one that the guy doesn't actually beat, which I, I thought was really respectful. And it's the only time that I've actually seen Jet Li still move like he used to move like 20 years ago. Uh, he, he, he's very slow, very s- stiff. And then he has this moment where he, you, he has those killer eyes that he can do whenever he's playing a bad guy. And he's like, right, I've had enough now, strikes his old wushu pose. And then they go at it for like, fifty seconds and then the film ends, you know? And it's like that was I haven't seen that,
0: but I'm gonna have to look that up. I haven't seen that.
1: Sadly, that was probably about all he could do, but for that like one minute it was like, ah, glorious.
0: (laughs) Even uh oh back to Triple X. I mean, we got off you know like a little bit of a side tangent, but I've listened to your show and that happens quite often. So I don't, don't feel oh terrible about doing it. Um is um I also like the fact that and I think it was Vice who brought it up this morning actually on Twitter brought up the fact that um even the uh, like of oh, the more office type people in the movie they they have a little bit of training like oh Nina's character actually gets out oh, to shoot an MP5 at the end. Yes. And I was I was sort of familiar with her like like I I'd seen the first couple years of that tv show that she did um of the vampire diaries and she's she's a very stereotypical in that show it's you know the teen romance you know so she's very moody you know and cries a lot and so when i saw that she was in this i was like well that's that's kind of weird casting but she totally nails that she's just a little bit of a goofball and then like there's a slight a flirtation with her and Ruby Rose in the movie. And I was like, okay. Oh, she's obviously, oh, she's having a lot of fun oh, playing this role. And, and that's the vibe that I got as I watched the movie is that everybody in the main cast, oh, they seem to be having a lot of fun. Like they all knew oh, what they were making. You know, like they weren't making some Oscar bait movie. Oh, like they were making a 20 oh, years later sequel oh, to Triple X, and they're just going to have a blast while doing it. And I appreciated that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I really like that aspect as well. I mean, I actually really like Ruby Rose's character in general. Uh, just like the bad guys Same. in inverted commas, uh, all of the good guy team gets a great introduction. And the fact that her introduction is protecting, uh, lions in Africa by uh, wounding the people that are trying to hunt them. And I, and I definitely emphasize wounding not killing because uh, once the wounding, wounded, wounding she, yeah she lets the lions do the rest which uh, the twisted vengeful part of me may 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 smile every time i watch that film but uh, you know i won't confirm or deny that <laughs> and then she also has
0: that awesome scene in the middle of the movie where she's hanging from like oh the ribbons yes in like the sniper position that i was like this is actually really good and how she's calling out like all the nicknames of like all the no-name soldiers, Ivan 1, Ivan 2. I'm taking them all out in one shot. And then she kind of does like the uh, uh the Cirque du Soleil kind of, kind of descent. I was like, that was really fucking cool. Like, I really enjoyed that also.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, that that whole sequence is just probably one of the highlights of the film for me. I mean, the way that Vin Diesel described the order in which he wants her to kill them with, like you say, these russian nicknames and he just keeps coming up with new ones and then she does kill them in that order once it all kicks off but then you get tony jar coming in and he gets to kill a few and Donnie yen you know uh, and and all of that was preceded by the greatest game of hot potato ever played with where they uh, use a live grenade instead and then they just keep adding more grenades and everything about that whole sequence on the island works for me Except for the fact that it's like a rave in the middle of nowhere, because I honestly think that whether it's Fast and Furious or Triple X, it feels like Vin cannot go to any location unless it's a a party filled with like 20 year olds dancing their heads (laughs) off to dated songs. And I I I I, got
0: that same vibe, man. I got that same vibe. Oh my God. We're like... As soon as he walks in and, like, he has to give the password to this guy and blah, blah, and the weapons. And then all of a sudden, there's just a rave in this old, like, this old temple. I'm like, Vin, oh, this isn't Fast and Furious. Like, I immediately thought of Fast, uh, I was at Fast 6, where they're just in London in the middle, like, of this, and historical looking place, and there's just all these girls, you know, like, with their asses hanging out. I'm like, Vin, you don't have to have this in every movie that you do. You don't.
1: No. And, Good and lord. <laughs> it, it, it's funny too because Tony Jaa and Donnie Yen are both wearing like uh, funky shirts and uh, relatively like low-key blending in clothing and then what's uh, Serena a.k.a. Deepika, wearing? <laughs> Nothing but a piece of scotch tape basically. <laughs> yep. It's like There is no way on the face of this planet that every eye in that place would not be glued to her. She sticks out so goddamn much, and yet somehow she can hide a gun and a knife on her. And I'm just like, okay, okay. I think we'll just have to stop questioning this and go with it, you know?
0: (laughs) And it's funny to see Donnie wearing a shirt like that. I don't know why. It just feels so because I mean, I followed his career for so long and seen so many of his movies to see him with a shirt like that. I was like, this feels weird. Like, I don't mind the tattoos because I mean, in Special ID, he's like all tatted up and everything like that. But, but in this, it's almost like he's in a Hawaiian shirt. Oh, that he picked up from Target, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, It's just, it feels weird. Like I much more prefer him at the opening of the movie when he's like in the tank top or like at the end, like when he's in that jacket, also in a tank top. He's in a tank top a lot in this movie, which I don't mind because, you know, he's he's in hell of a shape for this movie. But um, my one problem with the grenade scene is I I personally know how long it takes for those grenades to blow up. And so I was trying to separate myself out of that part and be like, oh, they would have went off already. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm like, Chris, it's a triple X movie. Let it go. And then it's immediately followed by that giant action scene, uh, which ends with Donnie and Vin Diesel on motorbikes that can go on water. And I'm like, I don't care about the grenades anymore. No, exactly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) to to be fair, even before that when Vin uh, gets one of the bikes he like starts taking out the Russians by literally just running up to them on the bike and just smacking them with either the back or the front wheel and it just perfectly highlights how committed you have to be and just let go when Dupika's character gets knocked onto the floor and he essentially bunny hops over her to uh, smack the Russian and then drives off and you're like that could have gone wrong very, very horribly. But luckily you're Xander Cage. You know, you, you never mess up. You, you always succeed. But if, uh, if any, anything there could have horrifically made that go a number of ways and you just brain just has to be like, no, 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 no. He's Xander Cage. We just roll with it. And then, like you say, five seconds later, they, uh, they jump into the water. The bikes turn into jet skis. And then it's like, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, we're, we're we're basically in the world of spy kids but everybody grew up it's like
0: it's like the opening where where he is reintroduced and he's skateboarding down this long mountain he's doing a grind on the side of a bus he's doing this he's doing that and it's all to it's all to get satellite access so that the town can watch a soccer game like he goes through like a like over five minutes of an action scene with some not a well-done face mapping cg just to get a soccer game for these people and I'm, then he and then he has a he has a romantic scene again with a girl wearing practically nothing he has to have this written in his contract he has to because <laughs> oh, there's another girl who is extremely easy on the eyes i'm trying to be like as respectful as possible and, oh, oh, they have like a love scene for some reason.
1: And it's like, that didn't have to be there. No. And the funny thing is, is the way they do that whole sequence, uh, the first time I watched it, I assumed that that, that character, whoever she is, cause I don't think she ever gets a name, um, was supposed to be Vin Diesel's like girlfriend, because obviously he's been living there. And I just, uh, I thought, well, that's obviously what's happening. And then you find out the following morning where he's basically just left her his skateboard and a note about not falling off of it. And you're like, Oh, okay. That just happened. We're, we're right. Okay. Uh, like you say, it's like, right. Okay. I, I understand what type of film this is. We just kind of have to go with it. See, but again, it's
0: a staple. Of the first movie where uh um like when he meets up with the uh God, I'm drawing a blank on what they were called. The organization name, like of all the bad guys, he meets up with them in that club, and then oh, they send him back out oh, to the castle, because evidently all oh, these bad guys have a castle, and he just has like a threesome or foursome with all these hot women.
1: And I'm I, like I mean, in okay. fact this film kind of tops that when he goes to uh, see his uh, computer hacker. Friend. Oh, my God. I totally
0: forgot about that scene. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> it, 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 is, it is topped in this movie where, yeah, he meets up with the a computer girl and she goes, I can't touch a computer. I have to be able to trust you. I'm going to bring in eight of my sidekicks to strip you down.
1: What is what is happening? And then uh they make it very clear that they all spent the night together because obviously it cuts to the following morning and yeah, he's in the center of them in the bed. And it's like, yeah, like you say, he's exactly the same character from the very first film. The biggest problem with it is, is that he just looks too old to still be that guy. And it, again, it's like, I know we've said this already, but it doesn't bother me because I've seen this film so many times, but I can a hundred percent see how some people would really not gel with this. You know, it's, it's
0: very, it stays true to the first movie in that regards in this, in this way that Vin Diesel is like this ladies' magnet and blah, blah, blah. But it's been 20 years and, you know, to keep the, you know, the James Bond comparison, it's like uh, when Roger Moore is a view to a kill, and he's making out uh, with what's-her-name, and there's like a 50-year age difference, it seems. Yeah. Like like every girl uh, uh, that Vin Diesel sleeps with in that scene you know, with all the computer women, they all look like they're 18 or 19. And he's 65 years old, it seems. It just feels like I personally would have tweaked that scene, but again, it's a stupid, a huge budget action scene. It knows what it is. So I'm not going to like, i take a shit on it. Oh, too much. But those scenes where he has to be a love interest, they do kind of stand out in this one. Cause there's like three of them. Like you said, like the, Oh, the one at the start, and then, like, the orgy scene, basically. And then, oh, his chemistry with, like, oh, the other one at the end. It's just, it all feels kind of shoehorned in.
1: Well, yeah, it does, because it, it, especially with uh, Serena, it starts from the minute they meet. I mean, as you said, she's essentially just wearing uh, a a roll of tape around her. He tries to flirt I think with her although his technique is questionable and obviously they both know that they're spies so that was kind of I forgave that because all right they they clearly knew who each other was so that was just their way of sort of you know introducing themselves and then Donnie Yen shows up and he's like you know who's your new friend are you done playing and that all kind of works but then once it becomes genuine after the fact I don't mind the scene where they're comparing tattoos, but it just like like I said and like you've said the fact that they are so different in ages, it really doesn't work because like you said, they don't have any chemistry and she wouldn't have been alive when he's telling half of his stories and it's not subtle like it's it's really noticeable and there really isn't a need for it. That's the bit that uh I think is is why it bothers me so much is there are so many characters in this film, all of whom are immediately attracted to him. Even uh Nina Dobrev's character, like the second she sees him, she's like drooling over him and literally tells him flat out, uh you just name the place and I'll be there. This is my safe word.
0: Yeah, that ah uh, or uh, see, but then oh she flirts with Ruby Rose and is kinda, you know, like all googly eyes over her. So it's like, is, it
1: is is, is everybody in this movie just horny for each other? I mean, <laughs> pr- pretty much everybody, but one character that we've kind of left out is like stupidly attractive. So it's understandable. And I, I feel like I need to at least mention him, but there is another character in the good guy troop. And that is uh Tennyson played by Rory McCann. And, uh, He's great in this movie. He's funny, but he's, he's a character that if you took him out, I genuinely don't think anything would change other than the nothing exactly. And that's kind of my issue with him. His, his skill, which is supposed to be driving, but obviously that's too boring for a triple X character. So his skill isn't driving. His skill is crashing. And it's like, that sounds cool if you're three, but realistically, That is not a useful skill to have. Like, the one time he does it, and he's with uh, Chris Wu character, Nix, he even is like, no, 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 this is a horrible plan. We're just going to crash, and it won't actually help. And it doesn't help. (laughs) It it doesn't do anything. It doesn't, like, yeah. As 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 much as I
0: like him in this movie, because I was a fan of his, when I saw him in Hot Fuzz, yeah. And then you see him on Game of Thrones where he's this completely different character. And so when he pops up in this, I was like, oh, it's the Hound from Game of Thrones. But then as you watch the movie, I'm like, why is he here? Like,
1: yeah. I mean, you could have taken is. his
0: character traits and split him up. On Nick's character and Ruby Rose, and it still would have had the same outcome. Like, like, OK, so he's loud. He's big. He. Oh, he crashes cars and. He, He likes to have a mouth guard in for some reason, even when he's not in a vehicle. Like, okay, it's kind of goofy, but I mean, it's a triple X movie, so it's kind of like, okay, I get it. I mean, I don't like it, but I get it.
1: Yeah, same. And I mean, he he doesn't not have good moments like when he's told to stay in the boat and then he won't get out of the boat to help them when the Russians attack because X said stay on the boat. And then he eventually does help by essentially driving the boat off water off a ramp and then crashing into one of the Russians in a boat. And it's like, that's, that was funny. That, that bit genuinely gets a laugh. But after that, he just feels so superfluous. And it's not helped by the fact that spoiler alert, all of the bad guys in this film are not in fact bad guys. And at some point, all of these other characters end up joining the good guys and now we just have this massive 12 man strong force of good guys who are all triple x agents and unfortunately that I actually i really enjoyed that oh, no no no, no, no i i did but like when you put them all next to each other rory's character feels so out of place like he yep. he's a guy that can just smash things with a car and yet you're you're saying that he's as good as Donnie Yen or Tony Jar or Ruby Rose or Michael Bisping or even Vin Diesel or any of them, any of them, you know, it's like, it, it, he feels just wrong to be there, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially at the end when they do like the, uh, um, oh the traditional, like the hero team shot where like, everyone's walking together and you're like, he didn't do anything. Yeah. Like, like it, it's like that scene from the Simpsons episode. Oh, with the monorail. I with Leonard Nimoy where he goes, and my work here is done, you know, and he gets called. And he goes, oh, you didn't do anything. He goes, oh, didn't I? And then he just phases like that is Rory's character. And he's like, oh, my job is done, but yeah. you didn't do anything. And he goes, exactly. And you're like, wait, 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 what? Why are you here?
1: <laughs> I suppose actually uh, saying spoilers. I haven't actually said anything about the story. We just went straight in with the characters, which is fine. But for anyone who hasn't seen the film, I mean, A, why are you listening to us? But B, go watch it. It's great. But the, the story is basically that someone out there, like some kid in his bedroom invented a device that could essentially bypass all security for any technological device, which means that, uh, and they, they show you this in the very beginning of the film where allegedly Samuel L. Jackson's character gets killed again. Cause you know, he got killed in triple X two allegedly and then didn't. Uh, yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, essentially they can take satellites out of orbit and crash them into the ground, which naturally is quite destructive and devastating. And you'd think would be a bigger deal considering that they like level the whole of Italy, basically, and you know, crash into it like the asteroid that destroyed the dinosaurs. But apparently somehow not everybody has heard about this. And then they think that uh, Donnie Yen's character is a bad guy, but unsurprisingly, It turns out that they weren't and that they were all triple X agents and that they were actually also carrying out the last orders of Samuel L. Jackson's character Gibbons. And so once they eventually figure out who the actual bad guy is, which turns out to be a guy in a suit, because, of course, it had to be an old white guy in a suit. It couldn't be anybody else. Uh, They then all (laughs) they then well, they don't actually team up because they have different reasons for wanting to get uh the device but they all end up converging on where the device is and they have this great sort of rival race between both groups to try and get to the device now I can't remember if it uh it happened in the in the in the grenade scene or if it happens in this bit when Donny and Vin are going back and forth I think it's the grenade scene but I absolutely love Donny's backstory when they all realize that these guys are actually rogue triple x agents and he tells the story that he was a soldier and he'd seen so much blood that his eyes had turned red because that is for a lot of american audiences i think that's probably the first time they've actually seen a hint of the fact that donnie yen is a really good actor obviously if you've seen his chinese work you already know he's a good actor but I'm willing to bet a lot of people that have only seen his uh, Western roles probably were like, oh, wow, that's actually pretty decent. Why, why couldn't we have more of that? Because I remember thinking like him playing Zhang, it really does feel like uh, you you mentioned Special ID. And, you know, obviously I was thinking of Flashpoint and and any of those where he's playing a modern day cop, it almost feels like they just pulled one of those characters out to be in this film but changed cop to soldier and it all could just fit you know
0: yeah 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 Yeah, i mean and that's the thing is like i um i remember when this movie came out that that i remember reading some stuff where they're like oh people were in and impressed with donnie's english in in particular and i'm like oh does no one realize that yeah he is born in China, but he grew up in the U S until what, like the age of eight or nine, I believe mm-hmm. like it could be off, but like, like he, like he speaks English fluently. And, and so that's why like in triple X or when he has that monologue, I was like, see, he, like here's the material that he needs to be doing outside of just like, I mean, he, he's notoriously underused in blade two, where he doesn't even have a line of dialogue. Yeah. And then, and then you see him like in Shanghai nights where he's just kind of there at the end. But then you see him in something like this or rogue one where he actually has a, has a character. And I'm like, why aren't Western, why aren't Western studios seeing this? And I'm, I'm, I'm expecting he's going to have a lot to play with on John wick four. just based off that teaser that they showed. So I'm kind of hoping that, at least in terms of Western audiences who aren't all that familiar with his work, they get to see what all of us have known for years, which is like, yeah, he is a legit, awesome action star, but he's also a really good actor too. And I think he proved that on the Ip Man movies. In particular.
1: Uh, Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, for me the Ip Man movies were kind of like the Raid in a very different way obviously they're very different films but uh they broke the language barrier you know my fiance Jade had seen the Ip Man films and the Raid films before we got together and she doesn't tend to watch a lot of martial art films. The, the Raid obviously being slightly different because, you know, there's, there's more to it than that, uh, which I'm not going to get into. But the Ip films, they're not just about how good of a martial artist Donnie Yen is. They have an emotional story. And like you say, they really show off how good of an actor Donnie Yen is. And whilst, yeah, there's still a large percentage of people that have never seen it because, well, it's a subtitled film and that's as far as they're willing to go with it. The fact that I know so many people who enjoy the Ip Man, well, quadrilogy, I suppose, now it was a trilogy, Uh <laughs> it is purely down to the fact that Donnie Yen broke through. And average films aren't going to do that, you know, and average actors aren't going to do that. He is a superstar in his own right. And it really helps that he has stuff like this that you can in- say to someone, hey, you should watch this film. It's got a bunch of people in that you'll probably like, but it's also got a bunch of people in that you've probably never heard of that once you watch this film, you're going to ask me what else have they been in? And that's what this film, I think, did for a lot of people.
0: Yeah, uh, like me and my fiance are actually very similar oh, to you and yours in, um, in regards that she was not really in the martial arts movies. In fact, oh, she still kind of isn't. I mean, oh, despite my love of them, and like, oh, she's seen a few here and there. Like, um, I can kind of tell what she'll like. Like, um, she's into Jackie Chan. You know, like she 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 loves his movies. Um, oh, just based off of the Rush Hour films. I oh, was Shanghai Noon. I oh, was Shanghai Nights, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. So I actually I got her to watch um, Police Story 1. And as soon as the movie starts, she goes, "Oh, she goes, babe, he is so young." And I'm like, "Yeah." And then oh, we watch it. She's like, "Wow!" She goes, "She goes, I really enjoyed that." Or somebody like um, a Michelle Yeoh. I got her to watch um, a Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon because I knew, yes, it's a martial arts movie, but there's a lot more to it than that. Like you know, all the love story aspect and all the production design. I knew she would really enjoy all that. And so she watched it, and she loved it. And then when it came time, like, we went to the theater for, uh, um, oh, Shang Chi. And I know that movie gets a lot of shit because it's a Marvel movie, but I think that for a younger audience, especially like, oh, my fiance, um, of oh, her nephew, he saw Shang Chi, and immediately he hit me up and he's like, hey, I've really enjoyed that. What are some martial arts movies I should watch? And so that had Michelle Yeoh in it. And so when she showed up on screen, like I popped shit because I love Michelle Yeoh. And then it also had Tony Leung and Yoon like like all these people that I've known for years, but a a lot of audiences, oh, they wouldn't. And like, so when everything ever where all at once came out. I showed the trailer out of my fiance and she's like, yes, she goes, she goes, absolutely. I want to see that because she's become a fan of Michelle. Yo, not in regards to her martial arts films, but in terms of, of her acting. And so I've shown her, oh, some stuff of Donnie's, I oh, like the it man movies because she like me, it, like is a star Wars fan. And so she loved him in rogue one. And I was like, babe, like, he, yeah, as great as he is in Rogue One, that's really not him showing off what he can do. And so I showed her some stuff and she's like, what? "She goes, wow, he's he's an awesome action star. And so it's weird how we all kind of have our own like entry point into these actors at various stages, if that makes any sense. Sorry, I was rambling for a while.
1: No, no, it's fine. And it, and it does make complete sense. Uh, I was actually chuckling because you said you were a big fan of Michelle Yeoh. Obviously, I am as well. We did everything everywhere all at once not too long ago, or I did rather. And um I plan to do uh, more of her classic films in the future. But it, it just made me smile because you'd already mentioned, obviously, Michael Bisping and Michelle Yeoh have something in common, which is that they were both in Strike Back. And you'd already mentioned that, that was one of your favorite shows. And I was like, ah. I bet that helped. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh. And she's playing so against type in that season, too. Yep. And that's what uh, I mean. I could rant and rave on Strike Back for literally hours. Like, I literally think that is uh, the greatest action show ever filmed. But that's a whole side tangent that, that I'll save your audience from listening to.
1: Yeah, we'll uh, we'll just have to do a, a separate like Strike Back bonus episode at some point.
0: It literally has the best example of tactical action and tactical work I've ever seen on screen. And for someone who I mean, I was in the military for almost seven years. As I've mentioned before, I picked that kind of stuff up and they are flawless in in their execution on that show. Which which they don't do in triple X in terms of the triple X agents, but all the no name like all the no-name soldiers in that third act, they're not bad. I will say that.
1: You know, it's like some of them are better than others. Obviously, Donnie's really good uh, at just all those years. He's played military stroke cop guys over in China. But some of the other actors, like I don't really want to name names, but Chris Wu in particular, he has like that gangster-esque hold on his gun. And I'm just like, drives uh, me daddy drives yeah. me daddy yeah same uh i don't even remember tony jaw even holding a gun for long enough for me to critique it but i like you said ruby rose did really well but then it makes sense cuz she did two films that year where she was uh doing a lot of tactical work so it doesn't surprise me that she had uh it in the bag um i felt that Deepika at points was weaker than ruby and some of the others but again her character seemed to be trying to be like the modern day feminine version of Xander cage so they don't she's actually the only one that doesn't get like a special backstory skill which is weird considering how much screen time she gets they just imply that she's basically the new version of Xander cage like she has the tattoos she does all the crazies like stuff in her off time She's allegedly done all of this stuff, you know, beforehand to the point that you do wonder how she could potentially even come across as an undercover agent because everyone kind of already knows who she is. Uh, but uh, I, it, it was weird the way they, they built that up. And then obviously, as you already said, Nina Dobrev, uh, gets to handle guns at the end, which is funny because, uh, I know a behind the scenes tidbit is that her character was never supposed to. And she basically begged and pleaded with everyone involved because Nina in real life is an adrenaline junkie and likes to do crazy things. And she couldn't believe that everyone else in the film basically gets to in on the action except her character. So she was like, can I please have a bit at the end where I get to shoot some people and fire the guns? And you know, and so they that that literally was basically all done on the same day to, to get her to shut up essentially. <laughs>
0: And she does okay. Like, I mean, her character is designed in a way that she's not supposed to be this tactical expert. She's supposed to be very, very awkward. Like, she even says in the movie, like, like, oh, when the shit hits the fan, I'm gonna hide, or, or like, I'm gonna throw up. And so, when shit actually hits the fan, she does hide. And then, when she has the opportunity, oh, to shoot, it's almost like blind firing where she's just like, ah, you know, like, she closes her eyes even. And so, I, like, I found that charming as hell. And now knowing, of oh, the backstory, that's actually really cool how oh, she got to do that. Because it's a neat little moment, and, a, like, uh, it's as much of development of character, oh, that we're going to get in a Triple X movie.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I find it funny as well that, like, going back to the the story of satellites being dropped out of the sky on people's heads, that the bad guy's, uh, or should I say the first bad guy's um, whole motivation is that he wants every country to dismantle their intelligence operations. And in order to facilitate that, he's using the intelligence agency that he was a high-ranking member of and I I've, I I do wonder sometimes if he if he even grasped the irony of this. Is like he's saying that everybody out there is you know shouldn't be have their privacy invaded and everybody shouldn't spy on each other and blah blah blah. And it's like, but you literally did all of that to get to this position where you could ef- effectively make this change in inverted commas. And the people that are hunting you aren't spies. Like the, the the whole point of Triple X is that they're these ridiculous adrenaline uh, junkies that are essentially just good at this stuff because they're insane. It's, it's essentially how I remember the first Triple X going. And, uh, you know, your, your whole argument is kind of being diffused by the fact that you got beat by a guy that's good on a skateboard. And that's one thing that the plots,
0: and I say that in quotes, Oh, the plots of the Triple X movies aren't exactly super deep, no? especially in regards to oh uh, like oh the third one or uh no, I'm sorry, oh, the first one is basically it's a oh, set piece, the movie two actually has more of an actual script, yeah, where it's where you know the president wants to do this action, which will oh, limit oh the military, so oh the Secretary of defense who's spent his whole life in service of the country. Is like, I'm going to stage a coup to take over because I don't agree with this. So the, and uh, watching a state of the union now, uh, living in America with what happened a year ago is hmm, interesting. I would say the least. Yeah. Um, and that was one thing where I was like, this isn't as far fetched anymore as it was in 2000, what, three or four. You're like, Oh, when the second movie came out. But then a watching part three, yes, there's 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 a plot in quotes, but it's it's not as strung together as the first movie, but it's not like as proficient as the second movie. It it's more of just like let's let's have an outline to move the action or from set piece or to set piece. And Even like the triple crosses and then the team ups are are so telegraphed in the third one. Like when the movie starts, I looked at Tony Collette's character and I'm like, oh, she's going to be the bad guy, right? Like I just knew. And it's because I, you know, oh, these movies are. And I don't mean this as a derogatory statement. They're all very shallow, but at least in regards to the third one it knows what it is and it kind of embraces that shallowness where it's like even the character introductions each character gets like a title card it's very goofy in that regards
1: yeah and and the funny thing is is a few years later obviously uh suicide squad would come out and it kind of basically did the exact same thing and it's funny how one thing can work for one film and not for another
0: yeah yeah, because because in this, oh when, oh when all those cards popped up, I didn't roll my eyes. I was like, "Oh, this makes sense. Like it totally fits."
1: Oh, actually, I'm gonna have to rewind that statement. Uh, as soon as I said it, a part of my brain questioned me. Suicide Squad came out the year before, so actually, this film just did it right. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. I um I've tried to black out
0: Suicide Squad as much as possible from my brain.
1: Um, yeah. No same but unfortunately I, I've had to watch it more than once because other people need me to explain things because they think that it didn't make sense because they don't know about comics when in reality it's just a shit film.
0: I've watched a couple times myself and I um I have this OCD thing where like if I start a franchise I have to own every movie in said franchise and that has bit me in the ass a couple times but like I have all the DCEU movies and I own Suicide Squad on Blu-ray and it's just it. Like, every time I look at my movies, it, like, it peeks out from the corner, like, you paid money for me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, no, I agree. Like, the story is kind of irrelevant. I'm only talking about it because I just find it funny. Like you say, this film knows what it is. It's very tongue-in-cheek. It's very old-school spy movie where the plot isn't really serious, but it's so over-the-top. It is serious. Um, I think they do a nice blend of the classic James Bond-esque ridiculousness and mixing it in with the parody that the first film had really well, but they give everybody just enough believability that you can kind of buy it without it just turning into everybody winking at the camera every five seconds. Um... Some of that is down to the fact that the actors that they hired are just really good at what they do, to be frank. And uh, as you said, Tony Collette, uh, surprising no one, was the shocking twist villain. Even though she isn't really, she's just following orders, but she ultimately does choose to follow them. And the military guys that we said right at the beginning that Vin takes the mick out of and uh, quite literally air drops out of a plane while the plane is moving which still makes me laugh no matter how many times i've seen it because yeah like you say those guys were just asking for it uh they get to have their revenge and become the the actual bad guys and uh they think they kill vin diesel which you know i don't think anybody watching the film actually bought or believed you know As, as as much as Donnie yen screaming xander you know is great it's like we all know he's not dead because he's wearing the body armor that they made a big point of showing him putting on when he was shirtless, you know?
0: Yeah, and, and I mean, like, all the soldiers are basically... I mean, they're there to be, a oh, cannon fodder, oh, for Donnie to beat the shit out of. Yeah. Like, I mean, oh, they saved the big guy who had the only speaking lines, oh, for Vin. Because, obviously, oh, Vin has to oh, have a fight in this movie as well. but how the movie's shot is that, Oh, his fights happening over here, you know, like in the upper portion of the plane where he's fighting the dude with like, Oh, the robot hands that make him stronger as Donnie's just laying waste to these guys in the undercarriage of the plane. And he has that great line where like, Oh, he waves his arms and goes, Oh, let's do this. And he just, just, he's so charming that, like, I sat back and was like, okay, I'm in. Oh, this is going to be fun. And he proceeds to just annihilate. He kicks that one dude's head into the aluminum table, and it actually makes the "bung" sound. Yeah. So I Like, oh, this is great. I'm loving this. This is great. Like, if the entire movie had been crap until this scene, I still would have enjoyed it. But the movie's actually, it's fun. It's enjoyable. It just has this awesome fight scene with Donnie at the end where I'm like, oh, yeah. Like, I think I tweeted about it that, it like, it's a two-star movie that gets a half star for all the supporting cast and, like, the outlandish nature. And then it gets another full star just for Donnie. Like, he elevates oh the movie for me so much that, like, I don't mind the fact that I spent money on this one. I bought this one. Because I'll watch it again if only, if only to fast forward through like all the, like to all the Donnie stuff.
1: Yeah. And I must say that as much as I do like the Donnie, I wouldn't skip the other action sequences either because I think that everybody's action sequences are enjoyable. Like there isn't anybody that bores me. The only, the only, the only bit that I, I would fast forward through if it was its own segment would be the, the, the driving chase when vin and donnie are having their race and trying to get up the stairs whilst being shot at but because they interlace those moments i don't get bored of the driving segments it doesn't stand out so it's fine which i think is a smart decision by whomever put this together because yeah there's a there's a number of sequences that if you just had them on their own i think wouldn't be enough but they're very good at keeping the focus on multiple characters so you're never like you say. You're not just watching Donnie Yem beat people up, uh, who offer no resistance. You're also cutting to Vin Diesel having a fight with another big muscular dude, whilst at the same time you're watching everybody down on the ground have a massive, have that gun massive
0: shoot. Oh yeah, and it's and it's actually it's, it's extremely well shot. Yeah, like I was impressed. Yeah, I was like I was like holy shit, like this is actually. And then, oh spoilers! Oh we get, you know, uh, the return of Ice Cube which I didn't like I don't know how I didn't have this movie spoiled for me because it's been <laughs> out for so long but I was
1: like oh shit Ice Cube's back okay I, That's I, cool I, I tell you what that that whole gunfight sequence is is probably like one of my favorite action scenes ever because they let everybody have their moment like nobody comes out of that looking bad except for Rory McCann. But again, that was kind of the character he was playing. Um, Tony and Michael are now part of the good guy team. They have this great exchange where they're like, yeah, all right, we'll just beat the shit out of these guys too. Then it's, you know, it's a normal day for us. And you get uh, Depeka and Ruby working together, even though they've not really been best friends throughout most of the film. You and get... that was
0: awesome. Oh, they're a little like, other uh, tag team shootout was 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 actually really cool
1: yeah exactly that's what i mean like uh liam over on action for everyone loves to you know say you know the wrestling term of of hooking your actors up and in my opinion this film does it for everyone like nobody yeah, yeah. nobody comes out of this looking bad accidentally like you can say that rory mccann's character is the one that sticks out in that regard but that's by design he's playing somebody that is supposed to be the way he is you know they do still give him a moment when he does get to shoot people and and punch people in the face but he's also undercuts himself by thinking that uh putting a mouthguard guard in and uh, running flat out at the guys with automatic weapons is going to end any other way than being shot which is exactly what happens but that's that's his character, you know. So that that's that's not a a negative. That's kind of supposed to be funny, and it really is the only way that Chris Woo's Nick's really gets anything to do, because otherwise his his character would kind of again be kind of left out. But he essentially becomes his babysitter, which kind of gives those two something to do. So everybody gets a pairing in that last sequence, and then like yeah. you say, the fact that just as they're all about to run out of ammo. Ice Cube, Darius Stone comes in and just blows the fuck out of everyone with a grenade launcher, quotes a line from Triple X2 and has his music playing in the background. I, I was ecstatic the first time I watched this because I really, really hate it when franchises have films that don't connect with each other. And then, like this one did, essentially just went, uh, we're not going to worry about the second film. This is Xander Cage back again now. And it's like, oh, okay, so two is just going to be ignored then. And then right at the end, ah, no, two is not going to be ignored. It's actually going to get some recognition. And we're finally going to see Ice Cube and Vin Diesel on the same page.
0: Yeah, yeah, I was uh, like, uh you know, because I watched all three of them over the span of like a week like oh basically all back to back. And so when Darius, you know like he shows up, I'm like, oh, but then how it's how it's shot is that he's kind of like up on top. And I was like, I wonder if he was actually like on set. Oh, but then after all the action's done, he shows up and walks up and starts Yeah. Like he hangs out with everybody. I was like, oh, right on. It wasn't like a cameo that they filmed in post or anything like no, he was there, like, oh, they got him in. And he shows up in a car that is basically stolen from the Fast and Furious movies. Cool. If I'm down well, for it, you're like, if they make a four, let's
1: bring everybody together. It, well, that <laughs> car's from the original film, isn't it? Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, because it's the one that he drives off at. Drives off at the end, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Because uh, that's that they have that big speech where Vin Diesel's character is like, "Ah, the car looks exactly how it did when I left it," and uh, Darius is like, "Yeah." Gibbons told me to look after it but I and that I'd know why when I know why and now I know why and it's like yeah cuz he knew he wasn't dead. <laughs> it was a good time though man. Like I enjoyed
0: it. I like I didn't enjoy the of oh, the lead up to it. <laughs> but again, I want everyone to know who's listening, he did not ask me oh, to watch the first two movies. I did no, that man. on my own. <laughs> you you, self,
1: you self-inflicted that pain.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I'm glad I did because now looking back three is basically, Oh, the culmination of what they've been trying to do for 20 years with this franchise. Like, yeah. Oh, the first one is this big attitude driven, a oh, product placement X games, a oh, mountain Dew action movie. Two is more of a early odds, huge budget action, spy thriller thing. And 3 is basically taking oh, those two movies, throwing them in a blender, and adding the and diverseness of the Fast and Furious franchise, and going, here, it's the return to Xander Cage. And as we've said, like, Ovin is aware of that, I think, in this one, where he knows what he has in this movie at least. And so I'm hoping, I mean, oh, there's been rumors that like, oh, they're working on a fourth one in terms of the script that, he, that he keeps this tone going and this style going. Cause I'd be down for another one. Uh, I don't I would, know. I don't know if Donnie would be, cause he's getting up there. Like he just turned 60 a month or two ago. I think I saw on Instagram. So I don't know if he'd be up for it, but. I mean, everybody else in the cast is young enough outside of Vin.
1: I mean, I, th- I think uh Donnie would still do it. I think the question is, would they get everybody back or would they do what they did this time and basically get an entirely different cast of diverse young people who are like kind of it, but not quite it? And, uh you know, basically do the whole thing over again and pretend that Vin's known all these people forever. I would hope they wouldn't, but I can definitely see them doing that. I mean, I would prefer if they could get as many of the guys back as possible. And that was actually one thing I was going to address is it, especially that conversation that Darius and Vin has at the end on the, on the car. They talk about basically running the agency on their own. You know, X isn't technically sanctioned anymore, but Gibbons would have wanted them to carry on. Like they have this massive team now of Triple X agents. And, uh, oh, another thing I i gotta say, I love the fact that when Darius shows up, they give him a little title card. And I love the fact that the final line on his is has waited 11 years for someone to dial nine. <laughs> that was funny. Uh, cause yeah, that the just it was, li- it's little things like that that make the film work for me. Uh, and how they don't take it seriously in any way, shape, or form. And then we get Gibbons' funeral at the end, and surprise, surprise, once again, Gibbons has not actually died. And Samuel L. Jackson walks back in, has a conversation with Vin, whilst Darius and everyone else down below is essentially mourning him. And uh he no longer looks like the Samuel L. Jackson of the early 2000s. He's now the Samuel L. Jackson of today, complete with a pair of sunglasses that darken one eye almost like he's wearing an eye patch don't know what character that could be a margin to but you know which
0: makes no sense because oh, you can see through the lenses and his eyes fine i don't know why they did that other oh, than it was purely I just mean, to
1: give him a nick fury nod
0: yeah uh, but i was just like huh
1: i mean i could see that he could see out of that eye <laughs> <laughs> yeah no same i mean it's super obvious and then uh they basically have a rehash of some conversation they had in the very first film, because obviously, even though this is the return of Xander Cage, this is the first time that uh Vin Diesel and Samuel Jackson have actually been together on this film. So it's really the first time they've had to, to converse since like 2002. And yeah. uh, I love the fact that Samuel L. Jackson is still basically th- that same guy, like he could channel how he used to be so easily. And I love the fact that he gives him the old tagline, kick some ass, get the girl, and try to look dope while you're doing it. Because it's so out of place, but it, it it works. And in my head, that was kind of him giving Vin Diesel the keys and going, right, you're me now, because you're getting on a bit. Remake X, you know? And I was expecting there to be a sequel long before now. And I genuinely don't know why there hasn't been. I mean, I know the actual answer is because By comparison, the fast and furious films make way more money. And that's really what it boils down to. I mean, this film had a a, a rough budget of 85 million. And in the US, it only made 44 million, but worldwide it made over 346 million. So to me, that's a success. And I'm like, give me another one. Like, I, I don't, I do like the fast and furious films, but I feel like I would have rather of the two. We already had, like, a dozen Fast and Furious films. Can we have, like, six triple X's now instead, you know?
0: Yeah, like, and, and like, oh, to compare it to Fast and Furious, which also has a diverse cast, right, and they travel the globe, a oh, very similar, out oh, to Triple X, is Fast and Furious, for me at least, has dwelled into this overly serious series where, yeah, like, the action's over the top and it's ridiculous, but, like, it still has like the serious tone in terms of like, like Charlize Theron's character and like, you know, uh, the backstory in the last one of of the brother that got retconned in. And I would much rather have the triple X movies, which at least in the third one, and hopefully a moving forward, have a more playful nature to them. where like,
1: the thing is as well, and this might just be me, but like, Nothing in the Fast and Furious films of the last four films have made any sense. And I don't just mean the ridiculousness of the plot, but like, they're not secret agents. They're not assassins, warriors, former that's, soldiers. They're... That's
0: my main fucking problem. Yeah. Is, and... I, is, I saw Fast and the Furious part one in theaters when it came out. That was a point break style, a ripoff. But instead of robbing banks, oh, they steal shit and drive fast cars. They're literally street thugs. Like, they fight like street thugs. There's no... I mean, the only one that has a little bit of fighting style is Paul Walker's character, but that makes sense because he's a cop. But then, like, in this last movie, I think it was part nine, like, uh, Michelle Rodriguez knows, like, martial arts, and it's like, you guys were street thugs from L.A., like what are you doing being these super secret special agents it makes much more sense in triple x to have these people have these set of skills oh than it does in fast and furious
1: yeah and to be honest a lot of the storylines would have made more sense in triple x because it's not even the you know they've been doing that since i want to say six and seven you know because they had michelle rodriguez fight uh Ronda Rousey in you know one of the earlier films and she wins you know oh, that's so... part seven yeah yeah because yeah. because also
0: in part six they have uh, a Michelle Rodriguez fight with Gina Carano who's yeah, another yeah, yeah, like yeah. like in the movie she is ex special forces you know she gets recruited you know like by the Rock and blah 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 like it makes no sense that oh, Michelle Rodriguez is now this special agent status. It like it it would make a lot more sense in the Triple X franchise.
1: Yeah, and to be honest, Jason Statham and like John Cena and all of the like expanded cast of like action actors, not necessarily the main Fast and Furious crew, but the expanded roster that they keep bringing in and out, they would make a lot more sense in a triple X film. Like especially the Stath and, you know, like the MMA fighters and all of these people that they bring in that I love and I'm happy that they do get some spotlight in a big franchise that everybody seems to still to this day go nuts over. But Fast and Furious, is it eight, where Charlie's Theron comes into it and Vin Diesel has to pretend to be the bad guy for a decent portion of the film, like Yeah, that, that's eight. That, that 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 to me was like where I just couldn't couldn't cope with it anymore. You know, uh None of that makes any sense. And, and again, I know I'm complaining about a Fast and Furious film there. I can hear Mike from here saying it's a film. You're thinking about it too much. And I I I know all of that. But at the same time, it's like, just make a different franchise where this ship actually makes some level of sense, you know? Well, yeah. And like, it goes to Hobbs and Shaw, where Idris Elba's character has like
0: superpowers. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's Black like Superman. Like, do we forget that the first movie, they're literally stealing from semi-trucks. That's all they're doing. And then you cut to this movie in the same universe where Idris Elba literally has like a computer in his brain. Like his character, Hobbs and Shaw, would have made much more sense as a spinoff of Triple X.
1: Yeah, but let's face it. I mean, Hobbs and Shaw could have just been its own thing, just starring The Rock, Jason Statham and Idris Elba they could have easily done the exact same film with no connection to Fast and Furious but they wanted the name Fast and Furious in the title to get people oh, yeah. to go see it i uh, remember 100%, 100%. It, it was advertised for months as just Hobbs and Shaw and then when it got closer to release suddenly it became Fast and Furious Presents like no 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 yeah. guys this is Fast and Furious like come see it and I, I and the amount of people that were like oh it's not a Fast and Furious film like the driving's hardly any part of it. And it's like, A, neither are the main films. But, you know, that's a whole different rant. But B, it doesn't have to be. Like, it, this is not supposed to be like Fast and Furious, you know?
0: It's supposed to be a spin-off. Like, it's supposed to have a different style to
1: it. Yeah. But uh, anyway, I, I, I think that little rant about Fast and Furious has signaled that we've come to a close when it comes to X: <laughs> The Return of Xander Cage. But am I right in saying that this is something that you uh recommend that people enjoy and check out?
0: Yeah, 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 I really would. Um I uh I went in with zero expectations outside of that clip that I saw on Twitter where I was like, wow, like oh Donnie really rocks some shit, so I went in a lot more open-minded uh, despite the fact, you know, that the you know the previous two movies just really hadn't done it for me and afterwards I was like, you know what? That was a fun time. Like that was a fun time. Like I really enjoyed it. Um, I love the tone. I really love the action. Like I think all of it is very well shot. Um, it's goofy, but it's meant to be. And plus, like it, it allows uh, my favorite, a uh, living martial artist, to really show what he can do in a huge American-made blockbuster, which our Donnie really hasn't had a chance to do that much.
1: So I recommend this one no do you know what's a shame because he even dresses a bit like the character like what you were saying with the gray tank top and the black leather jacket is the film that i think could have done that for him was an adaptation of sleeping dogs that he was desperately trying to get made for oh years.
0: man don't get me started on that i love that game and i was like that would have been his franchise
1: yeah yeah i mean i'm I'm still to this day salty that the game series essentially got gutted by greedy executives and mismanagement uh, to the point that that franchise is probably never going to see the light of day again. But the fact that the same thing basically ended up happening to the film, even after they proved how it would work with a like a live action short film, is just soul destroying.
0: I was I am still very, very, very angry at that.
1: The funny thing is, is that if you ask him about it, he'll say that it, it's still, like, happening behind the scenes. But it's been so many years now that even if it does still happen, it, it's kind of past its point culturally, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, like, I personally, I've moved on to the and Yakuza series of games, which are way more oh, tongue-in-cheek compared to Sleeping Dogs, but it, but it still has that same kind of vibe to it.
1: Yeah, I mean, a live-action Yakuza, I don't know if it would work because... I don't think so either. <laughs> no, I, I don't think it would work in, in the slightest because you wouldn't be able to get the tone uh, in a live-action film, and I think if you did, I don't think anyone would accept it or understand it. I think those, those games are uniquely Japanese, and I think outside of Japan, that stuff just doesn't have the same mainstream appeal. Um, anime as a whole has really started to finally dig itself in into the mainstream consciousness and you know films that get released in the cinema make a ridiculous amount of money as i said in a previous episode but the ones that succeed are the ones where the weirdness is usually not present or very very toned down it's the same with hong kong action films There's a whole plethora of films out there that are just WTF in big capital letters that have some of the most insane action. But the films themselves are so bonkers that I would struggle to recommend them to anyone other than the most diehard fan on the planet.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: But thank you once again, Chris, for joining us. I think that's going to be it for this particular episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I will now hand you over to myself of the future to give you the outro and let you know uh, what's going on alright there you go you've reached the end and uh, I want to thank Chris once again for coming on he was a blast to talk to I'm sure he'll be on again at some point next week we are going to be welcoming back host of the Schlockanaw podcast Lindsay Wilkins and we will be discussing the 2008 Jackie Chan and Jet Li starring film The Forbidden Kingdom some of you may have seen this coming because the last time Lindsay was on, which was to talk about the Samo Hung film Encounter of the Spooky Kind, uh we kind of talked about it. And I, after the fact, was like, hey, do you want to come back and talk about The Forbidden Kingdom? And Lindsay was like, yes, because I've never seen it. So this was a first time watch for Lindsay. It was not for me. I saw it in the cinema. So I hope you guys will be excited for that episode. That will be coming soon. Also... There will be a new Conversation with episode coming potentially next week. It might it might need a little bit longer. It really depends. This episode will be very similar to the one that we did with Lauren Avadon when he talked about the No Retreat, No Surrender films that he did. However, this actor has a much bigger resume, and there are two films in particular that we're gonna talk about in great detail, but we go all over the place and uh, there's a couple of other films of his that we end up talking about as well as a television show that he was associated with that I think you guys will find interesting so look forward to that you've got uh, those are definitely the next two episodes that you'll hear I'm just not sure how soon that one will follow Lindsay's so stay excited stay safe and I look forward to seeing you all and hearing your feedback on this episode do remember but if you have the time and you feel like it rate them review them tell me what you think of them send me random questions on twitter i am here at action addicts for you the listeners but with that cheesy bit out of the way that is going to be it for this episode and i shall see you in the next one on the action